Today we celebrate one of the major feasts of our Lord. This is the Feast of the Holy Name. We don't always know why a particular feast falls on a certain day. I can't tell you why the Feast of the Transfiguration happens to be celebrated on August 6th. It just is. There probably was a good reason once, but it has been lost to us over centuries of time. Some feasts we know. Feasts of the Apostles tend to be fixed on early dates when their relics were placed into churches, even an event known as translation. Others have to do with dedication of important churches. The Feast of All Saints is one of these. One of the early popes dedicated the Pantheon in Rome to be the Church of St. Mary and all the saints on November 1st, a thousand and a half years ago. And we have celebrated All Saints on that day ever since. Many feasts of the Incarnation, like Christmas, are connected with natural events and especially the movements of the sun and the earth. Indeed, Christmas falls on a day when the winter solstice fell 1,700 years ago. The solstice is the shortest and darkest day of the year. The days after it herald a rebirth of the sun and light. The feast of Christ's nativity, the birth of the one called the Son of Righteousness, and the bright morning star occurs alongside the rebirth of the light. Was Jesus really born in December? Probably not. Shepherds are rarely spending the nights with their flocks in December. They're usually only out when it is time for the lambs to be born in the spring and early summer. But that's neither here nor there. Christmas isn't trying to be an exact reckoning of the birthday of Jesus. Instead, it is our yearly celebration of the mystery of the Incarnation and a return of light to darkness. And no, its timing isn't a surprise, particularly or particularly original. Most agricultural societies in temperate zones have a feast around this time precisely because of the astronomical truth of the rebirth of the light. However, some feasts of the Christian year aren't about the dedication of churches or the translation of relics or even about the movement of the earth in relation to the sun. Some feasts are placed thanks to math, and this is one of them. Now, generally, the Gospels aren't very good about dates, but occasionally they will give us numbers. They'll sometimes clue us in to how long an event has happened or after some other important event. John and Luke tend to do this the most. And indeed, this is why the Feast of the Ascension is 40 days after Easter Sunday, meaning that it always occurs on a Thursday, and why Pentecost is always 50 days after Easter. It's because Luke specifically tells us how many days elapsed from Easter until these two other events. Now today is another one of these days. Right after the story of the Nativity, Luke tells us that the circumcision and the naming of the baby Jesus occurred eight days after his birth. And eight means one week later, because the Romans always reckoned days by starting with the day itself. So every year, one week after Christmas, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Name. Now, it's easy to look up in the sky, to note the movement of the earth around the sun, to observe the stars in their orderly courses, and to posit a supreme being. Countless religions and philosophies have done so. We can talk about the one from which everything else proceeds. 
we can talk about a prime mover, a single organizing from which all things flow. But the Feast of the Holy Name doesn't celebrate this at all. Instead, it celebrates kind of the opposite. Instead of an impersonal force that works on a cosmic scale, the Feast of the Holy Name celebrates not only that God has a personal name, but that this God went so far as to take flesh and to be born among a particular set of people in a particular place in a particular time. If, if God had wanted to take on human flesh and become one of us, God could have chosen any time and any place to do it. I mean, if God had only asked my advice on where and when and in what station to be born, I would have advised the Almighty to use all of the advantages possible, to be born a king of the greatest nation in the world, where the most people could hear and receive his message, and have the weight and might of an empire behind it. But I guess it's probably a good thing that God didn't ask my advice. Rather than being rich or famous or powerful, or even advantaged, God chose to be born as a brown baby on the frontier of an empire, not even a terribly nice frontier, but one hard against the other mighty empire of the age, the Persians. He would be of insignificant parentage, not a priest or a governor, and while he could claim to be in the ancient lineage of kings, no king of that family had sat on any throne for over 500 years. Thus today, the Feast of the Holy Name, we celebrate this God who took on flesh, taking part in a ritual, a cutting of his flesh, that joined him to both a people and their God in the rite of circumcision. A rite that acknowledged him in the eyes of the community and God as a Jewish boy and a member of the community bound by the covenant cut between God and Abraham and his children forever. This is what the great 20th century theologian Karl Barth calls the the scandal of particularity. Out of all possible options, God chooses to become human as part of one people in one place at one time. As we consider this feast, though, we'd be remiss if we didn't give some attention to the name itself, which the title of our current feast celebrates. Frequently, in first century Palestine, a boy would be given his father's name. In this case, however, a different name is chosen. In Matthew's Gospel, the angel tells Joseph to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name written in Matthew's Gospel is Jesus, which is the best they could do with the Hebrew name Yehoshua, usually shortened to just Yeshua, that Jesus tries to capture. Yehoshua literally means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh will save. The angel's explanation serves us to not only remind us of the original meaning of the name, but also to give it a specific object, for he will save his people from their sins. Just as this ritual bound the baby into a people and history, so does his name. For not only does it recall the many ways that God had saved the children of Israel in the past, Yeshua, or Jesus, is also the name of the leader whom we know as Joshua, who has a book of the Old Testament named after him, recounting how he led people out of the desert, through the waters of the Jordan River, into the Promised Land. 
the church fathers quickly noticed the parallels between Joshua and Jesus, noting how Jesus saves us from our aimless wanderings, leads us into the church through the waters of baptism, defeats those things that seek to draw us from the love of God, and gives us a place where, as the prayer book puts it, we may dwell in him and he in us. So today we celebrate the name of Jesus, at which name every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Today we celebrate a Savior who will save his people from their sins. While we wander lost, Jesus will lead us to a new way, to a new day, to a new year. In this season of Christmas, which still has another five days, let us welcome our newborn king by his name and embrace his promise and gift to dwell in us as we dwell in him.